Welcome to Transformation Simulation, the podcast about agile transformations and personal transformations. Here are your hosts, fraternal agile twins, only separated by four months, 100 pounds, meat consumption, and different parents, Alicia Yannick and Nathan Chawilawu Ashe. All right, welcome. And we have a great episode for you today. We have a special guest today. Manager One is here, also known as One Take Tony, Chris Tolino. You actually also might uh, recognize his voice from the introduction to this podcast. Thank you for being here today with us, Chris. Thank you for having me, Nathan and Alicia. Good to be here. That's true. Chris is, we've, we've tagged him three different times to come participate. You know what? And we haven't paid him a dime either. I was going to say, he's going to ask us to pay him. We need to stop. I did finish that last bottle of scotch that you gave me, Alicia. It's a little empty spot where it used to be. You want some, you want some Colorado whiskey? I'll see what I can do. Uh, we have a great episode today. In our previous episode, episode three, the team developed a consensus. They all agreed on the way to work. Now they're going to take that same approach to leadership to gain support so that the team can begin working in a new way. Let's listen in and uh, see what happens. The team announces to the organization, stakeholders, managers, etc., that they think the best option for meeting the deliverable deadline is to work in Scrum, a framework of the agile mindset. Management initially opposes this for the usual reasons. Ultimately, though, the organization, stakeholders, and management agree. The team makes its case and prepares to start its first sprint. Team, I'm wondering how we want to present our case for Scrum. It feels weird to me to ask for permission to decide how we want to work, but the reality is a decision affects all parts of the organization, the stakeholders for our product, our leaders, and our managers. What if we approached it by identifying the benefits we believe Scrum offers? I can think of a bunch of ways to present perceived benefits, but if I'm a leader, stakeholder, or manager, I'm likely more to care about a quicker release of usable products to users and customers, higher quality with lower defects, higher team productivity because of increased ownership, greater ability to incorporate changes as they occur, better user or customer satisfaction because of shorter feedback loops, and being able to complete complex projects that previously could not be done. I like that list. Project manager, what are your thoughts? That list looks like a great place to start, and it identifies the biggest wins I think Scrum will bring us. Oh, one thing I would add is that our research shows that the team morale goes up when Scrum is supported across the organization. Happy teams produce better work. That's something we should add to the list. Good point. Let's add it and see what the higher-ups think. Project manager, can we get the conversation started? Later in time. I want to start off by thanking everyone for gathering today to talk about Scrum. Let me back up a second. The delivery team took a look at the work we are being asked to do and determined that our current method for delivering our product just isn't going to cut it anymore. We decided to do some research to look into other processes or frameworks successful delivery teams are using, and we kept coming around to Agile frameworks, specifically Scrum. What we discovered was a common set of values, which we think our organization already mostly embodies that shape the From Screen work 
We know that our interactions with one another have led to success in the past. Our challenge this year is a big one. And by focusing on delivering small pieces of work on a consistent basis, we allow for customers and stakeholders to provide input as we're building. We can then work together to incorporate the changes as we hear them instead of shelving them until later down the road sometime. Hold up. Are you saying that in addition to a tough deadline and work that is presumably more difficult than we've done in the past, you want to change our internal process? How can that benefit us? I see missed deadlines and chaos in our future if we change our approach. Yes, that is exactly what we are saying. We think this is the best option for meeting the deadlines and delivering to our customers. While we appreciate the initiative you took as managers, it's our jobs to inform you of what will work best. That's why we have been entrusted with our responsibilities. We know how to provide direction because we know what works. Let me offer up my opinion. When the team and I talked about adopting Scrum, I wasn't sure that I was on board. I've been delivering requirements the same way for a while, and I think I'm pretty successful with my approach. But the more I learn about delivering in smaller chunks, the more I think that is a big piece of what is going to help us to be successful. I appreciate your opinion, but I still don't see how adopting a new way of working is going to help us meet our goals. We understand that we're asking you to take a little bit of a leap of faith, but hear us out. Our goals are to create self-organizing teams which work iteratively to continuously deliver value to the customer. Everything we are proposing is about keeping the customer in mind and delighting them. As goofy as that sounds, delighted customers make companies successful. What if we looked at this a bit differently? Let's say the goal of our company is to make money. Without money, we can't exist. But what if that money was the result of how we worked? If making money happened because of how we work together to provide value to our customers? We are looking to avoid unmanageable complexity, reduce inefficiency, and sidestep being so inflexible that we can't respond to new information and feedback. Okay, that last bit has my attention. And I think I get what you're saying. Are you asking us to give you room to try something new? We are, yes. It's an experiment, but one that is researched. We've done some homework here. I can possibly get behind this idea, but only if there are some agreed upon metrics in place. How will we know if we're successful or not? Biggest metric that comes to mind is customer satisfaction. If delivering working software in increments, we can ask the customer to start using the product and then they can tell us if we're on the right track. I'm not sure. I believe this will work but I'm willing to give it a month or so to see how things play out. Thanks for the support. I'd like to say we can show you progress in a month, but that's not very much time. What about three months? Can you give us three months to get ourselves up and running to deliver pieces of working software? We can give you three months, but after that, we have the right to pull the plug on this experiment. And we listen, and we listen, and we listen, and listen, and listen, and then we come back. I was going to let you guys know that Jean is doing a work thing today, and when she comes back, the dog is going to freak out (laughs) and get loud, so... That's all right. We'll just edit that out. Yeah. Little wicked. I I, I don't know about get real loud. (laughs) We have Chase (laughs) in the background on some of this stuff. 
Yeah, we're uh, good. Okay. It's real life. This is a big episode, Nathan. This is a big episode. A lot happened here. That performance by Manager One, I'll tell you, that was something else, wasn't it? That was solid. That was solid. Might be worth a little uh, bottle of scotch. <laughs> Do podcasts, what are they, at Grammys or just, just scotch? Just scotch? Uh, that, just yeah. scotch. They're just, just scotch. scotch. <laughs> no <laughs> awards for podcasts. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there's there's no award. There's just liquor. That's, that's how right. that goes. Yeah. You know, that's, that, that works. I'm on that scale. I'm good. <laughs> cool. That works for you. All right. Yeah. Good to know. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is the second presentation that the team has had to give um, in order to give consensus. So there's, you know, a considerable amount of work that went into this path, this journey, this preparation, understanding, presenting, getting consensus. Pretty standard for a team, you would think. What's your what's your take on that? You know, actually, I think they did a fantastic job of of articulating what they wanted to do, why they wanted to do it, what they thought the benefits would be, um, and and actually a, a better job than even a lot of real world teams I've seen in in articulating what benefits they hope to get out of it and why they think it'll work for them. Uh, I think they did a a really good job of making their case. Yeah, I thought it was really good that they went to the team first and made sure. That- everyone on the team agreed and was saying this, the same thing. It was an agreement before they went to leadership. Yeah, that's important, especially when we're talking about agile teams. You know, they need to be a unit that has a lot of trust. They need to be a unit that works together and they should be making decisions together from the start. So that's a great way to begin working together in that way with shared agreements. And, and having that and, consensus and forming as a team. Yeah. I think, Chris, you mentioned earlier when we were chit chatting before we got started that this is kind of a grassroots effort versus sometimes management or leadership will come in from the top mm-hmm. and say, thou shalt uh, go do scrum. And so in a grassroots effort, I've not seen it work very well at all without what you just talked about, which is the team forming as a team collectively coming together and saying, hey, we want to tell you what we want to do and why we want to do it. I think what's interesting and we'd also chit-chat about this a smidge is that difference between the team feeling like they have to ask for support from leadership and and guardrails to maybe not go off the rails and determine what would it take for you to give us room to do this versus teams that have to approach leadership or choose to approach leadership from a permissions or approval perspective and that's a longer road to, to what is the for saying that's a longer road to hoe who hoes a road i think but it's anyway, a row like is a it row, row? like rows? a row in who a garden a or a farm like it's a long row well, now i think it's hoe but anyway so that's what i thought yeah so but in any event it's a harder hill to climb when the system that's currently in place is one that's based on permissions and approvals because we flip that on its head and this team i think maybe was in the middle of that and I'm wondering, with the two of you, have you seen teams that have had more success when it was ground up grassroots, or have you seen teams have equal success if it's coming down from up above mm. the beginnings of this transformation? That's a really good question. Um, That's all I'm here to do. I ask a question yeah. and I'm out. Like I, it's margarita <laughs> time for me. So you chit chat, fellas, and I'll go find you a scotch. I mean, Chris. Th- one point I was going to make is. You know, why is it important to have that consensus and that support before we begin? And and the, the obvious reason is stuff's going to go wrong. 
right? Mm-hmm. And when it goes wrong, what's our instinct going to be to go back to the old ways, to go back to what we're comfortable with, Ooh, to go back to what we point. we know yep. works mm-hmm. from our experience. So without the resolve to say, we're committing to this, and without management's resolve to support us, maybe if things don't go exactly the way we hope they w- were going to go, where things weren't all sunnier, we have a steep learning curve, that we push through that because, you know, that's the only way to success, right? You know, the, I love, the obstacle is the way I, you have to push through that to get to success. And if you don't have that commitment and you take a few steps back, you've lost your momentum, you're not solving the problem, you're, you're succumbing to it. And, and now you've got to, you know, push through that again later. So that's really important. And the question about the grassroots teams that want to try Agile and are building that from you know the team level versus the enterprise type, hey, we're all going to move to Agile changes. In the grassroots, I really feel like you get so much ownership and commitment at the team level. Like this really is our decision. We own it. If it gets tough, we have much more resolve because we decided to do it and we're so proud of it, right? Like this is our movement. But on the flip side, they're doing it without a lot of organizational support. They might not have any tools to help them do agile. They might not have any collaboration space. They might not have any type of DevOps, you know, capabilities. Mm-hmm. They might have a lot of trouble implementing agile. So it'd be really tough for them, though they're committed. On the other side, if you have great executive support and great management support, and this is where we're headed, that can really provide a lot of that missing support. But then you have to build that excitement. You have to build that commitment. You Mm -hmm. have to engage people who, you know, they didn't decide they wanted to do this. Maybe they aren't sure about it yet, you know, and... Now, Even sometimes when they decide to do it, they aren't sure about it. Yeah. yeah. Or they, yeah. Just, or yeah. they decide because they think everybody's going along with it. Like, oh, is this what we're doing? Okay, I'll do it too. And then it gets hard. And it's like, I don't like it, guys. I want to go back. <laughs> I think that ground up, the ground up approach is the one that I've seen have the most energy and get the most traction because those folks have those teams, those people, they have that ownership. They have this energy. They want to do something and their excitement and energy is really infectious. It really um, spreads throughout the organization. And just like you said, Chris, that the top-down approach, it, it provides a lot of structure and support. But if they're sometimes when teams or smaller organizations are told to do something, they never, a lot of times it's hard for them to get to a level of ownership and agility that pushes a transformation forward. So, um, while I agree with you, Nathan, I don't know about your experience, fellas, In the past 10 years, more transformations are coming from the top down, in my experience, than from the ground up. I've been hired and asked to coach many more teams or organizations because someone up on high said, we need to go in this direction, or we tried to go in that direction, it got mucked up, we need to fix it or or try and repair it and get, get back on track. So I have not in the past 10 years had as many experiences where people, where it was from the development team up or the product team up. I've had many more where it was from the top down. So my experiences are, are um, a little different. I've had the experience where leadership says, yes, we're going to do a transformation, but they do so in word only. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then there's all this energy in the yeah. trenches by the teams, but there's not true support. 
Right. And all that energy is down there where the work is being done and possibly one level up, but they don't have, um, like Chris was mentioning, all the tools, all the support that really affect the transformation. So Chris, since you're here, I'm going to pepper you with questions because I'm tired of asking Nathan questions. So in this episode, we heard the project manager say, can you give us three months to get ourselves up and running? And and interestingly, somehow the author wrote the language to say, (laughs) to deliver pieces of working software. What do you think about that? Because I think that's a loaded statement. I think that um, probably the project manager asked that because someone who knew what it took wrote that into the script. But but (laughs) why might that be an important way to ask <laughs> to ask for that well, like in a sudden incomprehensible moment right. of genius I mean, they only, just like only we understood what the authors were trying to get across their mouth. yeah <laughs> exactly yeah um well I, I mean and curiously three months is about six sprints and hmm. six sprints we talk about a lot as being uh, like really uh, an amount of time we like spending with teams to coach them if I had my preference to coach a scrum team, I'd prefer to spend six sprints with them, no matter where they're starting, because I know that we can make six sprints worth of progress. And then they, they will probably plateau, right? And, and need to spend time practicing at that level or incorporating all the changes. But yeah, I, I like that it's time bound and they're offering results. You know, they're Mm -hmm. not really getting quantitative about them, you know, but they're saying, give us a certain amount of time and a certain amount of space and a certain Mm -hmm. amount of support and we'll show you results. Mm -hmm. And I really like that approach in Scrum because with small iterations, you can show results very quickly. Mm -hmm. Three months of waterfall development and you will have a lot of incomplete stuff, right? You'll have a lot of stuff that's started. Uh, You'll have a lot of documents but you won't have any working software most likely on on any kind of sizable project. On a scrum team, if they have an environment where they can do this, at the end of six sprints, they'll have a lot of stuff they can demo. They'll have a lot of stuff they can show off. Mm -hmm. It might not all be functioning at every detailed level, but they'll have results. And I think that's a testament to Mm -hmm. the power of scrum that a team can start and in six sprints, they can really show you something. Probably in a couple, you know, but, right. but honestly, yeah, I mean, I think that's a right. good time, lame, time frame to try to see some results. And honestly, even if a team was mature, they should be taking a look at themselves, you know, every retrospective and expecting improvements over periods like that, over three month periods. Right. You could run some pretty good experiments and see some patterns in three months. Also, I just love the part about pieces of working software because I I think sometimes there's a misunderstanding because we talk about teams so much and the power of teams when we're going through a transformation with leader and when we're talking to leaders. And it is not a kumbaya fest. However, having people at work deliver better solutions, no matter what type of work you're doing, but particularly true maybe for software. So our best shot of having working pieces of software is to get people who are excited about making things work and that it is about delivery. Scrum isn't and agile isn't just about everybody feeling good and hugging. God knows I don't hug, but it's about to get to delivery because when we get to delivery, that's when we give value to the customer. Otherwise, it's just overhead and expense. And I think somehow that translation, maybe I'm thinking about one of the last gigs I was on where it was scrum's fine, but we have to deliver. And I thought, well, what is, what is it about if not delivery? And I didn't understand where there was that gap in look at what this project manager is saying here. Give us three months to deliver, not give us three months to figure ourselves out. 
because it, it's yeah. all about getting to delivering and getting something into the customer's hands. I was going to say the manager in this episode says something similar, right? They're, they're like, uh, you know, we, we've got all of these difficult goals and you want to change the way we work. Mm-hmm. You know, how is that going to help us? And to mm-hmm. your point, no, no, the, the way you're going to work is driven to delivery. Yep. In fact, the dev um, makes a really good statement. The authors really wrote a great line for the dev here. It did says, did they? We, did they, those they, authors really write a great <laughs> line, Nathan? Yeah, dev said, what if we looked at this differently? Let's say the goal of our company is to make money. Without money, we can't exist. But what if making that money was a result of how we worked? If making money happen because of how we work together to provide value to our customers. I mean, it's great positioning, Sarah. It's it's a statement by the dev that really positions the value of it based on delivery and making money. And it's really a great way that, you know, the team is selling the idea of working in Scrum to the leadership. I wonder who wrote that piece of brilliance right there. You must have written that. You must have written that. Yeah, I think you do. I'm looking at that just, sorry, Nathan, just thinking very few transformations have language like that at the beginning. Right. Maybe partway through, maybe at the end for the most successful ones. I think they'd be more successful if if we thought a little more out up front. I guess this goes back to kind of what we were talking to in a previous episode. Think about the way we work. Don't just think about doing the work and getting it done. Think about the way we work. So think about the way how we work supports our business being successful. Definitely. I I like that that manager one, by the way, Hmm. says, we'll give you three months, but we still have the authority to just can this experiment. So manager one's laying it down. Like you got, you got three months, no pressure, but we can pull the plug if we don't think this is going well. Yeah. I think that was a little over the top, you know, a little unnecessary to just like, because obviously they've always got that ability, right? Like they just have to let them know like, Hey, we will come pull the plug if we want. (laughs) Do you think that's far fetched, Chris? Not at all. No, not at all. Okay, so over the top and unnecessary, but not far-fetched in reality. No, no. As a matter of fact, you know, we talk about this all the time. We're, you know, most companies don't really have, they don't really measure and reward employees in a way even close to driving the behavior that they should be driving. And so a lot of these executives have been put in a situation where they have to make promises about timelines and roadmaps that they don't really have the information to make all the time. And, you know, that's a tough job for them to make, but they try to say, okay, we got all these customers that need things that want changes to our software, or maybe they want us to be able to deliver something for them or to them. And we've got to make some commitments. I would love it if we started making commitments after planning, but right now in the world that some of these commitments have to be made early and they're under pressure, you know, they're being Mm -hmm. incented to deliver based on these commitments. And we all know the earlier you commit and tie up your resources, the less responsive you can be as a company. There's a lot of companies out there that, you know, they know the work they're going to be doing for the next nine months, which sounds fantastic from a planning perspective. Well done to plan nine months worth of work, but what are you going to do to react to the thing that comes up next month? There's an opportunity (laughs) cost to that. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, even as you mentioned that the whole, this whole season started 
of transformation simulation uh-huh. with a contract that was signed by the CEO and the CEO actually didn't even know if they could deliver what they signed the contract for. But the they put the now, press release out, right? Yep. They put a press yeah. release out. Everyone on the team, including the product manager, found out about this contract and the work they need to deliver at the same time through a press release. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've seen a lot of surprises come out through press releases, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I do think think if I have a story to tell, do any of us have a story to tell that kind of mimics or what happened in this episode? I don't know that I I feel like I want one, but I don't know that I have one. I have had a team go to management or leadership in the midst of a transformation because they were asked to give a commitment to something. And they said, we want to do it differently than the way you're asking, because the way you're asking for us to give you the information is based on how we used to work, not how we're working now. But that's the only story I can come up with. And and they got it because they said, we will meet your request for information. We just want to do it differently than the way you asked us to do it. But that's not really the same thing. I've had a situation like this where I was on a program. Uh, So there are a bunch of different companies involved. And our company said, you know, we're going to use Scrum. We're going to use Agile as our development process. So we're not going to give you a 80-page requirements document for you to sign off on. That's not Mm going to happen. We are going to write stories with you and we are going to refine them and we are going to show you something. Actually, what we did with them was we did a sprint demo every sprint, every two weeks, but every other one was external with a large audience, like Mm -hmm. other companies and stuff like that. But we went through that process. We had to explain, okay, well, what does that mean? How is that different? They still wanted to do UAT, which we we see inside companies all the time. One of the things they really don't want to let go of is, all right, at the end of it, we just want to test everything (laughs) all over again, just to be sure. So that's pretty common. But uh, we did have to make a case for using Agile and this was, you know, we actually ended up having to put stuff in contracts, even like, yes, we will hold a demo every four weeks. We, you know, oh, wow. Um, wow. yeah. So I can't say there was a lot of like trust, but I mean, we did have to sell it to them. But I would say, you know, in this episode, I think it's the project manager, right? Does a fantastic job of selling mm-hmm. the benefits mm-hmm. of Agile. Mm-hmm. I think that if you want to use Agile and do Agile, or you want to coach Agile or be a scrum master uh, or a product owner, you need to be able to sell Agile because you need to get enthusiasm for it. You need teams to be excited about it. You need teams to really want to do it well. We all know we we love seeing Agile teams doing basic vanilla Agile, getting into it and really starting to use it. But we know that as teams get mature and they get to a high performing level, they're impressive, right? I mean, that's really where we want them to be. And in order to get them there, you need like some encouragement, some enthusiasm. You know, people think that scrum teams get better by getting faster, which is true to some degree, but it's definitely not the only way they get better. They get better quality. They get better at picking the things they should be doing that add value. They get better at streamlining the way they add that value, at communicating so they don't waste time. I mean, there's all kinds of ways they get better by being a better team, but but not if they're not interested in it, not if their priority is, you know, we got to hit this deadline or we have to impress this person. Well, actually, if you have to impress somebody, I would do Scrum. <laughs> but, you know, if they're not focused on improving their team and their craft, um, then, you know, they'll probably just be mediocre at it. Yeah. Those are good points. Good points. Man, it's a good thing Chris was here today. 
I know. You did all the heavy lifting for us. I was just going to say, he did all the heavy lifting. We got to sit back. Man, you just get me going. I can talk for days. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And we've hit our time here. We're just at at about 20 minutes, I think. Oh, sorry to, maybe we didn't state that up front, Chris. We're trying to stay between 15 and 20 minutes talking through these. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything else that's missing from this episode that we want to discuss that we haven't? I did notice just a minute ago, and it's just a small thing that when engineer one, maybe we talked about this, said the biggest metric that comes to mind is customer satisfaction. I mean, that's another like, oh man, that is perfect. <laughs> like that was, that was written, you know, there was the scrum gods imparting knowledge on somebody well, I who think, just, you know, had an epiphany. Right. right. And, and that's why I put that in there because that's how I learned Scrum was that's the most important metric. And it's so lost now and all the other bullshit metrics that we gather that that was uh, definitely a little heavy handed, I would say, on the part of the author of that particular line. <laughs> and it was meant like it was meant to be heavy handed. Yeah. No, we I mean, we shy away from measuring what really matters because it's hard or it takes a long time or we're not quite sure how to do it. Um, or so we, we think measure- we need to measure 20 things because then it makes us feel better because we have volume. Yeah, or we need a metric every week. Well, we didn't deliver anything this week. Well, we can't put a zero on there, but it is right. a zero. We didn't deliver anything. It should right. be zero. You know, uh, in engineering school, we had a professor who would say, if you build a bridge and it falls down, you won't get partial credit. <laughs> right? So there, it was like no partial credit on on test questions or something. But this is the same with, with software. Oh, you, I like that comment. Yeah. If you build a lot of software and you have a lot of activity and you check in a lot of code, but nothing goes to production mm-hmm. or the stuff that does go to production, customers don't use or they don't mm-hmm. like. It was all a waste of time. Or if you build the wrong thing, right? That's why yeah. there's this project to product transformation that's bubbled up is because dev teams, presumably, I might disagree, got good at delivery, but we were delivering the wrong thing. So it was all for naught. So now we've got to switch our attention from straightening out tech or dev to straightening out the business side of the house. So Nathan, even though Chris had to leave us, I think there's a couple things we wanted to keep talking about. Definitely. Should we, should we, uh, should we chit-chat just the two of us? Let's do that. What do you think about how this team approached management with their research and their recommendation for how to do work differently going forward? I think it was a, a great approach. First, I think the way two individuals, I believe it was the project manager and the engineer took this responsibility and ran with it and let the team know. The team was okay with that. It's really in many aspects, I think their first act of self-organization as a team to do something new. You know, they had the trust of those two team members going out to do the research. They were able to put something together and bring it back to the team and have a good discussion. That was a big step for them. And it showed, I think, their ability to do agile-like planning. And I want to point something out here. I agree with what you said. Today might be my day for agreement, so soak it up. But it was an engineer and a scrum master or a project manager, but it doesn't have to be. What I think is important here is not the roles who went and did the research, but the fact that two people from the team said, we'll go out and do some legwork. The rest of the team trusted them to go do that, like you said, Nathan. And then they came back and had a collaborative discussion about it. So the same people who went and did the research 
leaders didn't make all the decisions. They did the research, presented it back to the team and said, what do we all collectively think about this? And I'm not saying that teams should operate as a one collective conscience because that's goofy. But I think what is important is that the two folks who did the research didn't presume to interpret the research the right way or the way, the way that might be best for the team. They brought it back to the team to say, well, what are our collaborative and collective thoughts? about this information. And that's what I think is, to your point, Nathan, their first step on the road to organizing themselves. Yeah. Yeah. It was significant. I mean, to add a little more, I think that if we look at how this might've played out with a traditional approach on a team, one or two people might've been appointed or assigned to do the research, to go and find the best solution for them. Mm -hmm. And the team might've wanted to hold them accountable (laughs) for (laughs) making the decision yes Mm -hmm. yeah holding their Mm -hmm. feet to the fire about the decision and so forth this team didn't do that or a manager would have appointed them oh yeah it probably wouldn't have been a team member appointed or the team appointing them it probably would have been a manager appointing them saying i decided these two people are going to make this decision and likely it would have been a project manager and a manager in my experience that's but that's what would have happened. I think what this team did is what we want to model for teams who are who want to embrace Scrum. And not necessarily just when you're trying to make a decision about should we use Scrum or should we use Kanban or should we use Agile at all or what should we use, but how decisions are made when the team becomes a performing team yeah. and when the team has trust. This is sort of a template for what that looks like or what it can look like. Definitely. I think the other thing that came out of that that, that we wanted to mention is that... Um, the research the the two team members um bringing coming back to the team having a discussion being collaborative became the collective research of the team there was never a situation where anyone presented this is what our two team members came up with we think you might like this is our this is what we came up with right and they were anchored in that collective research Mm -hmm. um and they all stood by it you know that's a really good point Yeah, the author of this particular script just did a great job. All the music in our podcast is created by Gilpin Hill. That dude, now that dude is great. He can play some music. I'm telling you that. Mm Mm-hmm. Chris Tolino, also known as Sweet Tony, also known as One Take Tony, is the voice actor on our podcast introduction this season. Chris also played the role of Manager One throughout the season, and Chris, we thank you for both. Special thanks to our friends Bay Hall, Lauren Harrison, Eric Harrison, Arnold Panjanaban, John Amaranjan, Margie Morse, Ryan Babbage, and Shrikanth Reddy who were all script actors for the episodes in this season. If you are looking for exceptional Agile coaches, look no further than this collection of great people. You can find this podcast anywhere podcasts are available. We are Alicia, Yannick, and Nathan Chawilabuache, the Agile Twins. If you have questions, comments, or ideas, you can connect with us at transformationsimulation.com. Thank you for listening.